Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, last week um, we started a discussion about the kingdom of God. I, I titled the message. I don't even know if I mentioned the title of the message. Sometimes I don't. Um, but the title of last week's message is Where, is Where Are You Living? The, the series is called A New Way to Be Human because we learned last week a new way to live this, this, this life on earth. You know, there's ways of living while we're here. And there's two different kingdoms that we can be a part of. And we talked about a new way to live. And so the, the series title is A New Way to Be Human. And last week we talked about where are you living. We started a discussion about the kingdom of God. And we, we learned that the moment that we said yes to Jesus, we became citizens of a new kingdom, a brand new place, a brand new kingdom. Not a, not a physical kingdom necessarily, um, although there is a physical part to it, but we became a part of the kingdom of God, which, which goes beyond just a physical place because most time when people think of the kingdom of God, maybe they think of heaven, but it goes beyond that. It goes, that, that word kingdom means rulership or authority. And so for a believer, anywhere that you go is the kingdom of God, wherever a person or, or something is dedicated to the Lord and gives God the authority in their lives, then that's where the kingdom of heaven is. And so that's what the kingdom is. And we talked about that last week. And we talked about, you know, more than anything else, Jesus talked about the kingdom. It was his number one priority, his number one sermon topic. The thing that was on his mind and heart, the thing that he wanted to communicate more than anything else while he was on this earth. And we know that by looking at the story of his life because it's mentioned he mentions it over and over and over again. And we also talked about the fact that a kingdom is got basically three parts to it, right? It's got a ruler, and the ruler of the kingdom of God is God, right? The, the uh, kingdom has subjects, right? And the subjects of the kingdom of God are the believers, the ones who, are, who have said yes to Jesus, who decided to follow him with their whole lives. And then a kingdom has laws, systems, and standards that dictate Behavior, And we didn't really get into much of the kingdom uh, behaviors and laws and standards last week. We're going to talk more about that this week. But we also talked about there was another kingdom that's at work. And it becomes a problem for us as Christians because there's this kingdom that the Bible calls the world. And you'll see it mentioned all throughout the New Testament. And that kingdom is in complete conflict with the kingdom of God. They're completely incompatible with each other. And in the kingdom of the world, it also has three parts. It has a ruler, and the ruler of the kingdom of this world is Satan. We know that because the Bible says it. it uh, the ruler of this world, or I'm sorry, there's subjects in this world, and that's anyone who is unregenerative, anyone who is not a believer, anyone who hasn't said yes to Jesus. They were just born into that kingdom. That's just your default mode as a human. And then there's also systems. And the standards that govern the world systems are, we learned last week, there's three things that govern the world's uh, systems, and those are, that is the lust of the flesh. Okay, we talked about that being like the body, like our physical body and the cravings that our physical body has, things like food, things like sex, you know, those things would be lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes is like stuff and materialism, you know, the want for more and the need for more and the need to get more stuff and accumulate things, never having enough. And the third part of that system is the pride of life. And the pride of life is, popularity, fame, notoriety, wanting to get noticed by people, wanting to get accolades and applause from people. That's the pride of life. So that's the system of the world. So we've got the ruler, we've got the subjects, and we have the laws, standards, and systems. 
And even though we talked about last week that we still interact with the kingdom of the world, you probably heard the old expression, it's kind of become cliche in the Christian world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Um, even though that's a cliche, that's 100% true. We are in this world as believers, but once we said yes to Jesus, we became part of a new kingdom. So we're still in the world. I mean, we still have to interact and live in this kingdom of the world, which is all around us, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're of the world because now we're of a different kingdom. And so we don't let those systems of the world, at least hopefully we don't let those systems of the world as Christians control us any longer. As citizens of the kingdom last week, we talked about the fact that the number one thing we should do is seek the kingdom of God first. Because in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, when Jesus was talking about uh, his system and his way, he talked about the fact that if we seek the kingdom first, all these things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, those things will be satisfied in us if we seek the kingdom first. Now, some of those things will be satisfied here on earth. Some of those things will be satisfied in the kingdom to come. And I didn't talk about that very much, but it's an important point. The fact is this. The kingdom of God is here and it's yet coming. And I know you maybe have heard us talk about that through sermons in the past, but the kingdom of God, and that, that's why we get the question like, well, why, if God is so powerful, he's so good, well, if God heals people, then why didn't he heal my grandma of cancer? Or why didn't he heal my mom when she got sick? Or why didn't he heal my dad? Or, you know, why didn't he stop this? And the short answer to that is this. The kingdom of God is not fully come. We see glimpses of the kingdom because we're kingdom people and sometimes we invite the kingdom like in a service or in our walking around life and maybe we pray for someone and they get healed and we see glimpses of the kingdom but we're not going to see the full kingdom quite yet it's still coming so some of these things that I talked about uh, lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life you're like well I, I don't have all the things that I want okay I'm not you know there's a lot of things that I would like to have well those the, it says in the Bible, the meek shall inherit the earth. And so the earth will be ours. It's just going to be when the kingdom is fully come. When Jesus comes back to this world, the kingdom will be fully come. But until that time, uh, we continue to seek the kingdom. So we talked about all that last week. That's a recap. This, and the reason I'm recapping that so heavily is because the sermon that the, what we're going to be talking about today coincides with what we talked about last week. It kind of goes hand in hand. And this is almost like a part two to last week's sermon. I mean, it's week two, but it's also like a, a continuation or a part two to that. Because I, I, I want to I show you how Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 sums up kind of what we just talked about, and uh, it introduces even a new topic that we haven't yet discussed. But let, I want to break these verses down for you. So let's, let's look at them. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. The, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing. And he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. And I, I added the parentheses. These aren't in the Bible. These are just uh, ideas that I've added to help break down this verse. As for you, okay, that's us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you were born into the world. You were a subject of the kingdom of the world, born into the world. Okay, let's go to the next one. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Okay, what are the ways of the world? The ways of the world are the laws, standards, and systems that govern behavior. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Satan. So right there we have subjects, which are the unbelievers. We have the uh, law systems and standards, which, um, he, which he talks about us following. And we have the ruler, which is Satan right there. It's right there next. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And the disobedient are the unbelievers or the subjects of this kingdom. So we have all three. All of us, it goes on to say in verse 3, all of us, which are the kingdom believers, 
he's talking to us, also lived among them at one time. So in other words, we were just like the rest of the people in the world at one time. We lived among them. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. So we see that the flesh has cravings and desires, and we know what those are, right? They are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So right there we have the ruler, the subjects, and the system of the world. That's exactly what Ephesians is talking about, but it goes on in thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Keep that up there if you would, uh, Don, for me. So here we understand, we, we see exactly what we just talked about, just laid out there right in Scripture, just the way we talked about it. But there's something that was introduced that was new, and I don't know if you caught it, but it talks about in verse 3, it says, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. Okay, the cravings and desires of the flesh we talked about last week, again, are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I want you to understand this. But then it goes on, it says, um, the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So here we find out that not only is there cravings and desires of worldly believers, but there's also thoughts. They have a way of thinking that is different, that is worldly. And then if you continue to go on and look at Colossians chapter 3 and Romans verse, uh, chapter 8, it confirms this. So let's go ahead and take a look at those verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. In other words, seek the kingdom of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth. So this verse tells us that there's kingdom thoughts and there are earthly thoughts or worldly thoughts. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh and or what? Things of the world, right? But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, the kingdom of God, in other words. So, according to these verses, we have two types of thinking. We have kingdom thinking, and we have worldly thinking. There's two different ways that those thoughts operate. Just like the kingdom of, the, of God and the kingdom of the world are completely incompatible, so kingdom thinking and worldly thinking, again, are completely incompatible. They're complete opposites. They're night and day. They're war and peace. They're Gen Z and hard work. Completely incompatible with each other, right? <laughs> I picked on the older people last week, so I thought I'd pick on Gen Z a little bit this week. But you might be saying, like, you know, Pastor Jared, I remember last week when you talked about this and you said in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, it says uh, that I'm a brand new creation, that I'm a brand new creature, that when I said yes to Jesus, when I invited him into my life, when I started following him with my whole heart, that I was totally transformed, my mind was transformed. The short answer to that is no. No, you weren't. Your mind wasn't transformed at that time. Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about. There are, just like God is three, uh, three being, three expressions, there's three expressions of God. There's, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they are one being, God, right? We call that the Trinity. It's the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, just in the same way that God is one, yet has three expressions, we were created in his image, and we are one person, but we have three expressions of our being, okay? Let me explain those and break down those three expressions. The first one is the body, okay? This is the, this part right here. The body is the part that interacts with our physical world. It's the part that has senses and perceives the physical world. And uh, it's, it's the part that, you know, obviously we see. We call it the, the flesh. It has appetites. 
Um, this part was not redeemed at the time of salvation. If this was redeemed at the time of salvation, there would be a six-pack underneath this shirt, okay? <laughs> Spoiler alert, there is no six-pack underneath this shirt. Our body is not redeemed until it will be redeemed. All of us will be redeemed, understand this. Our body will not be redeemed until Jesus comes back to this earth and uh, we will either be coming with him or we will be taken by him. And the Bible says that we will change in the twinkling of an eye and we will receive what the Bible calls a glorified body. And we'll probably be talking about that here in a couple of weeks. But um, just suffice it to say, our body will be redeemed at some point, okay? The twinkling of an eye is going to happen. All of a sudden, twinkling of an eye, six pack, right? That's what's going to happen on that day. It's going to be a glorious day. Thank you. Um, but that's what's going to happen. That's when the body will be redeemed. So that's one part, one expression of who we are. The second expression, the second part of who we are is our spirit. Okay, obviously this is an intangible part of us that we cannot see, cannot taste, cannot touch. But the spirit part of us is this part that, that is transformed or comes alive when salvation happens. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is talking about when it says, you are going to be a brand new creation. The old is gone, which is our sinful nature. And the new has come, which is a fully alive spirit. The spirit is a part of us that can, just like our body can perceive the physical world, our spirit perceives the supernatural world that is imposed right over ours. And if you think that's weird, it's all over the Bible. You can't read the Bible without running into it. There are two worlds uh, that exist simultaneously, and our spirit is able to commune with God um, in the supernatural, okay? That is our spirit. It's, that's where we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's, you know, when the Bible says we worship in spirit and in truth, that's what it's talking about when we do that. So our spirit is instantly transformed. It is made new. We're a new creation because our spirit comes alive. That's the second expression of our body. The third expression of us, who we are, is our soul. And our soul, in and of itself, is composed of three different parts. Sorry if this is getting complicated. There's the will, okay? There's the emotions, and there's the mind, and at the time of salvation, your soul, and I'm going to make a general statement here because I know that God sometimes does healing and delivering work with our minds or with our emotions. But by and large, your soul is not necessarily redeemed at the time of salvation. Your soul is pretty much the same as it was. Your mind, your will, your emotions. Now your emotions, you might feel something. You might get excited. You know, you might feel whatever. But your emotions, you know, that'll subside and real life sets in. And it's just the same. And this is why some people think that when they make that decision to follow Jesus, it's not as monumental because they don't really feel any different. They don't really seem any different. They don't think necessarily any differently. And that's okay. That's kind of the way it was meant and designed to be. You see, our soul is in this process of being redeemed. We don't have to wait for the full kingdom to come for our soul to be redeemed. We start a process the minute we say yes to Jesus of walking out this thing we call, in the theological terms, sanctification, okay? We work out this process of, the Bible terms it, or, or calls it uh, moving from glory to glory. In other words, we're continuing to be transformed as we partner with the Holy Spirit our thoughts become different, our mind becomes different, our will starts to, to bend towards his and we submit to him, our emotions eventually come and check with those things, and we become a new, a new creation in our soul as we progress throughout our lifetime. That's, a, that's kind of a lifetime, that's a lifetime work that God does in our lives, going, uh, taking care of our souls. And so our mind is what I really want to focus on today, and that's the part, it's not redeemed at the time of salvation, or instantly changed. 
And it's frustrating because we know what's right, but sometimes we don't do it because we are so programmed. We, you know, we've had years of pro- bad programming, basically, to overcome. And so let, let me, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I, I can definitely attest to this, that anytime I get on 92, because I live south of town, close to 65, uh, 65, 69, if I get on 92 and I head towards the church this way, um, I could be going to... Sometimes I go to the, the gas station way out here that has the cheap ethanol gas, or I go to you know, Dollar General, or my bank is over on this side of town. And so if I'm on this side of town, I will tell you that on more than one occasion, I found myself in the church parking lot, headed toward the door, and as I get to the door and I put my keys in, I realize I did not come to this side of, the town, side of town to go to the church. I meant to go to the gas station, right? Have you ever done that before? Why do we do that? It's because our minds are so programmed. You know, we start thinking about something, and naturally, you know, we just, we, I come to this building so many times throughout the week that naturally I just pull in because that's what I'm used to doing. My mind just pro, is just programmed to do it. And so if my mind is on cruise control and I'm not thinking, I'm thinking about something else, I end up here, right? That's how it is with us. We are so programmed. Some of us, you know, some of us don't come to know Jesus until you know, we're, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old sometimes even, and there's a lot of programming that has been done by the world in that time. There's a lot of stuff to overcome, and there's a lot of thought patterns that are very detrimental that we have to overcome in that time, and so it can be really frustrating, you know, like all of a sudden I'm, like I'm living in this new kingdom, but I don't feel any different, and I keep doing the same things that I don't want to do. Why do I do that? Well, part of the, the understanding there is that your mind has just been programmed for so many years. Uh, uh, there's something I want to do, and I'm going to have the hosts, uh, if the hosts would, they have a piece of paper, and I want them to go ahead and hand those out real quick. Uh, they're going to hand you a piece of paper, and if you need a pen, they'll hand you a pen too. Yeah, guys, go ahead and hand those out. I appreciate that. There is, like I said, there's programming that takes place in our mind, and um, sometimes even kind of like a, at a subconscious level, this programming takes place, and it, it is just incredibly hard sometimes to overcome that programming and put in new programming. And so there's, when you get your piece of paper here in just a second, there's something I want to have you do, kind of an exercise to show you what it's like to try to, pr- try to reprogram that mind, okay, and try to reprogram those things, okay? So when you get that piece of paper, thank you guys for helping. Thank you for the extra help today, those of you that are helping. It's like learning a new way of thinking. It's like learning something that's brand new when you've been taught to do something else totally different your entire life. It's not an easy process. It's a long process. It can be a tedious process. All right, does everybody have a piece of paper? If you need a piece of paper, go ahead and raise your hand and they'll get you one. All right, does everybody have a pen that needs one? Ladies, you probably have five or six in your purse, so maybe you can share it with somebody. Don't get me wrong, I depend on those pens very often, so I'm not dissing. All right, does everybody have a piece of paper that needs one? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to, uh, you got to save room, space, because I'm going to ask you to do this twice. I want you to write your name on that paper, signature, Okay. So for those of you that remember how to, or know how to write or were taught to write in cursive, you know, put your signature on there. Otherwise, those of you that were born before 2000, I guess you print your name. I don't know how that works. Okay, everybody got their name figured out? Great. We're going to be collecting these later and signing checks with them, so I hope you did a good job. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Um, go ahead. Now what I'm going to have you do is I want you to switch your pen to your non-dominant hand. <laughs> switch your pen to your non-dominant hand, and I want you to do the same exact thing. I want you to write your signature with your non-dominant hand. All right. Unless you are incredibly uh, ambidextrous, your second signature probably looks like a child scribbled it, right? Yeah, is it may, may or may not be legible, right? Guys and gals and people of God, this is what happens when we try to take years and years and years of programming and we try to introduce something new. It is not easy to do. It's like starting all over from scratch again. And, and, God, and understand this, guys. We have got, we are programmed by the world just because we live in the world and we've interacted with the world for so many years. So I want to encourage you this morning. Redemption of the mind is not instantaneous. It's a process. Now, if you were to take your, your non-dominant hand and write your signature every day, guess what would happen? Your mind would start making those connections and eventually you would have a pretty good signature with your left hand. So do not give up. Um, there are pro it's a process, and it's going to take some time. Uh, the great prophet Yoda once said, you must unlearn what you have learned. Okay? That's what, that's what Yoda said about it. But the question is this. How do we get a kingdom mind? Okay? So we know that these two kinds of thinking are incompatible. We know that kingdom thinking does not come naturally. So what does it mean to get a kingdom mind? How does this process work? Well, to figure that out, we're going to look at Romans 12.2. We're going to start with the scripture and see what the scripture has to say about it. And here's what Romans 12:2 has to say about a kingdom mindset. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There we go. We have the kingdom of the world again. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, so we know the pattern of this world. Okay, we've lived in the pattern of this world, but now this is telling us that we have to transform our thinking. We get to renew our minds. That's how we get a kingdom mindset. We renew our mind. And uh, as we're renewing our mind, there's kind of three different steps, okay? The process, the, the, uh, the process is hard, but the concept is, is fairly simple. There's three steps that I want you to think about this morning. First of all, be intentional, we know that there's a war being waged on our mind, and Satan's biggest weapon that he has, the ruler of this world, because he doesn't want to lose us to the kingdom, his biggest weapon that he has is to introduce thoughts into our minds that will distract us, implant doubts, and take us away from the kingdom of God. Now, on the other side of that coin, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is influencing our thought life by encouraging us, convicting us of sin, teaching us comforting us. He's doing all these things on that side. So we have a war going on, and the battlefield is our mind. It was a war for our mind. And so you might ask the question, why is our mind so important? Why is it being fought over? Well, because it's incredibly powerful. Proverbs says in Proverbs 23, 7, 8, says, so, uh, or, as a man thinks in his heart, and you can substitute that for person, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. Okay, so what we think eventually becomes who we are, right? Everything starts with a thought. Our entire life is a series of thoughts because those thoughts, when they're thought about enough, act themselves out in some way, shape, form, or capacity. So we need to start with being intentional about our thoughts. 
There's a scriptural principle in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that has scientific implications. Um, there's a woman by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf who in her book says, Switch on Your Brain, reveals that we can literally change our mind by the way that we think. The uh, scientific concept for this is neuroplasticity. And um, before the service, I had a conversation with um, a neuropsychologist or psychiatrist, David, Psychologist, it's David. David's my my guy, um, and he told me that I'm half right. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what I know, and if, if I mess it up, well, you can blame him because I talked to him before service. Just kidding, he can't. Uh, there's this idea of neuroplasticity, and and from what I understand, how the concept works or how your brain works, uh, when you indulge a thought pattern repeatedly in your mind, you create a neural pathway. And when you cr the more your mind goes down that pathway, the stronger the connection becomes. And, uh, and the greater, the easier it is for you to think in the terms of that direction. And it both works for positive and negative. And I also understand that it works in the sense that if you choose to stop indulging, and again, I'm, guys, I'm oversimplifying because there's, there's reward systems in our brain and there's, there's chemicals and dopamine and serotonin and certain thoughts trigger certain hormones, and I get that, but I'm gonna oversimplify a little bit this morning to show you that the scripture is coming into alignment with the science of this. If you choose to stop indulging a particular thought, those pathways get used less, and those pathways will weaken. And maybe eventually, David told me there's a process called pruning, where your brain takes areas that are, that are no longer necessary or needed or used, and eventually could be gone in time. So we can literally change our minds. That's great news. I mean, the, the scripture is lining up with the science of what's going on in our brain. Renewing our mind, changing the way that we think. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been thinking a certain way. You can change. You can absolutely change. You can actually rewire your brain by the way that you think. So um, let me give an example of this. Um, the, there's a thought that enters your mind, and the thought is, you know what? I'm not good enough for God. We can replace that thought with a renewed thought. The renewed thought is this. Romans, so when that thought wants to come to our mind, it wants to come to our head, we stop it and we say, Romans 15, 7 says, I have been accepted by Christ. I'm not good enough for God. No, no, no. I've been accepted by Christ. You know, our mind says one thing. The, the Bible says complete opposite. And so we put those things up against each other and we literally change our thought process to try to make a new neural pathway by abandoning the old thought process and uh, cause our brain to stop using that pathway so that it gets weakened and weakened and uh, the new one gets stronger and stronger. That's the process the Bible calls renewing your mind. Romans 12.2 also tells us not to conform to the world, which are the worldly thoughts, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The first step in renewing our mind, like I just said, is to be intentional about it. You know, if you think about Olympic athletes, Navy SEALs, Fortune 500 CEOs, what is one thing that these people all have in common? One thing they all have in common is they didn't get there by chance. You know, someone didn't just stumble their way onto uh, an, Olympic, an, an Olympic event. They didn't just stumble, happen to stumble into a pool one day and find themselves in the Olympics winning the gold medal. It takes years of training, years of discipline, years of uh, getting a right, the right team together so that they can fine-tune their bodies so that they can be the most extreme, uh, the, the most elite athlete in their class. That's what it takes to be an Olympian. A Navy SEAL doesn't just stumble into buds and uh, make the Navy SEALs, right? 
I don't know if you've ever heard about this process, but it's intense and incredibly grueling. Uh, they have to go through Hell Week, uh, which is just one part of Buds, and everything in Hell Week is designed to make these guys ring a bell so that they can be done. Pastor Donnie talked about this actually not that long ago. They have to ring this bell, and then they can be done, but they will just, they have no, they go for a week with basically no sleep, and their body is just pushed to the absolute max and so you don't become a Navy SEAL just by chance. It's a very purposeful thing. A Fortune 500 CEO doesn't just happen one day to be the Fortune 500 CEO. They've, they started years before training and learning and growing into what they want to do. So they, they have to be intentional. That's what I'm saying about this. You don't renew your mind by doing nothing. Nothing is a default, default mode for worldly thinking. If you want to renew your mind, it starts with intentionality. You don't just happen into a renewed mind. You've got to want it, and you've got to put some effort forward into making it happen. It doesn't just happen on its own. And if you're going to get control of your mind, you've got to pay attention to your thoughts. So I guess one thing I would encourage you to do is just take a thought inventory once in a while. Stop during the day. What in the world am I thinking about? You know, we talk about pinballing through life, and this is one of those areas that you can't just let it go. You have to be intentional about what you're doing and what you're thinking. So once in a while during the day, I would encourage you to take stock of your life, of your thoughts. What are you thinking about? Are you letting your mind just go nuts and go crazy? Or are you keeping your mind under control and are you subjugating it to what God would want you to think? You can never change what you don't recognize, right? So in Romans 12 too, when it tells us to be transformed, that Greek word transformation actually is translated literally renovation renovation. And so when you look at the renewal process, when it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but renew, aka renovate your mind. Okay, so you think about the renovation process, you don't just come home one day and your cabinets are painted and your house is completely renovated, right? It doesn't, again, it just doesn't happen. You have to be intentional about it. And this is why we have a lot of worldly Christians, because they don't take the time to put in to be intentional about renewing their mind. They just kind of keep going about their day, going about their life the same way they did before, but in, they have to be intentional about this process. So there's basically kind of two things this morning. I said this kind of a three-step process. Being intentional is the first. You just got to be intentional. You got to say, okay, this is something I'm going to think about what I'm thinking about. And then there's, there's really two steps to it. The first one is to demo the old. And I put in parentheses, identify the lie. Who knows what the funnest part of the renovation is? I get a lot of different answers for that one. Demo day, right? You demo, you get to bust stuff up. You get to like take a sledgehammer to cabinets and to walls and that's demo, that's demo day. That's like the first part. But you know, when you're going to do that, you need to know what to demolish, Right? I mean, you can't just go in your house and just start swinging a hammer everywhere. You got to have a plan. You got to have a way that you're going to do it. I, this makes me think of our uh, children's pastor when I was in South Dakota. He had relatives come over from um, South Africa. He was his wife was South African, and her family came over, and they were there for quite a quite a while, quite an extended period of time, like a month or two. And he had just renovated his downstairs bathroom, and it was beautiful. Or I'm sorry, the upstairs bathroom was gorgeous. Um, and he, you know, we had a staff party over there. He showed it, and we're like, oh, this is really cool. And so he wanted to do the same thing with his downstairs bathroom. And so his relatives were, you know, looking for a little bit of income because they were going to be in the country for a long time. And he said, hey, I'd love to, I'll hire you guys to um, reno my downstairs basement. And so he, he, they did the demolition. 
And he came in that day, and he went downstairs in the bathroom, and he's like, doesn't look like they did a thing, but they said they've been working all day. And then he had to go to the bathroom, and so he went upstairs to his beautiful, renovated bathroom and realized it had been completely destroyed. <laughs> There's mixed up in communication, but, you know, if you're going to reno, if you're going to demolish, first thing you need to know is you need to know what you have to demolish. And so what is it that... What are those thought patterns that we need to demolish in our mind? Like I said before, we spent years learning those negative thought patterns and, and from the rule of this world. And so those thoughts have to be demoed, but we have to be able to identify those thoughts too. And so the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it tells us how to do it. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So, in other words, it means taking captive of those thoughts that are going to set themselves up against God, those worldly thoughts that we've been talking about. And we have to take those things captive and we have to demolish those things. And uh, we have to take captive, if, if those thoughts aren't moving us toward the kingdom, then we need to take them captive. Um, I think about, you know, Pastor Barry, I asked him about this a little bit. And because I know he said vermin in his yard so many times. And, um, he, uh, he said he's got squinnies in his yard, and they cause havoc with his retaining walls. And uh, if you've ever seen Pastor Barry's retaining walls, they're not, just, they're not just retaining walls. They're retaining boulders. I mean, the man's impressive in what he's done with his backyard. It's pretty cool. But, he, uh, but he's got these squinnies, and they make all kinds of a mess of his yard. And he was telling me about a trap that, that I don't know if he's ever tried this. I know he's live trapped them before. Like he, he didn't just let the squinnies run around. He wanted to do something. Otherwise, they destroy all the work that he's put in. And so he's telling me about this one trap, though, in particular, where he had to you take a five-gallon pail, and you got to dig it. You know, it takes a little bit of work because you got to dig it into the ground. And you put it down there, and you, and you, you fill it half full of water, you know, so they can't get out. And you put acorns on top of it. And so when the squinnies come and they see the acorns, they go down, and then eventually they don't make it out because they drown, Right? Um, and now Pastor Barry, I don't think he's ever done that, but he's, he's live trapped them before. And, you know, whether they um, met their maker or whether they were released, I'm going to leave that for him. Uh, and he can tell you about those stories. Um, just know that your pastor packs heat, so it's probably a good chance the squinties didn't go very far after he got out of those traps. But that idea that we have to take captive those thoughts, we have to trap those thoughts. You know, even that trap where you talk about the pail, I mean, it's like, you know, it takes some effort and it takes some work. But if, but if you let those squinnies just run around in your yard, they're going to destroy it. And if you, let, if you let thoughts just run around in your mind that are anti-kingdom thoughts, if they're worldly thoughts, if you just let them go crazy in your mind, they're going to they're gonna destroy your mind. They're going to destroy the work that God wants to do in your heart. So you have to get intentional, and you have to catch those things. You have to trap those thoughts that Satan wants to throw around in your mind to mess you up. And here's the thing. You don't have control over what you think. You don't have, as far as, you don't have control over which thoughts enter your mind. That's not your prerogative. That's not your territory. You can't help it. It just happens. You get thoughts that pop into your mind. But you can choose what you're going to think about and what you're going to do with them once they're there. That's on you. When a thought enters your mind, that's not on you. But when you sit and think about what you sit and think about, that's very much within your control. If they're kingdom thoughts, we're going to let them in. If they aren't, we're going to take them captive and we're going to kick them to the curb. Have you ever taken a patch of grass or a tree in your yard and just let it sit? Like take out a patch of, of grass or you got something growing you don't like and you just you take it out. Have you ever done that in your, in your yard? 
what happens if you just let that patch of grass sit there? Do you get beautiful green grass that grows up in its place? No, you get weeds, right? So it's not enough just to just, you know, take out the old thoughts. It's not enough just to take those things captive. But you got to replace them with something. And that's kind of the second part of this is you got to replace it with the new. And I put in parentheses, you got to bring in the truth. We know what not to think, but how does a citizen kingdom person think in their minds? In Philippians 4, 8, it gives us a little bit of a clue. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, if anything is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul gives us a breakdown here on what we should fill our minds with because now that we've, you take out the old thoughts and you don't allow them to be thought of, you trap them, now you got to think about, so you got to replace it. You can't just, you don't just let it sit. You got to replace it with something. And so um, you replace it with the, the first thing right there that we see is he says, whatever is true. That's the first thing he says. And I don't think it's by accident that Paul wrote it that way. I think it was intentional. Whatever is true, that's what you think about. You think about the truth. That's the first thing he said. The Bible says that the native language of the ruler of this world's kingdom, who is Satan, right? The native, his native language is what? Who knows? It's lies, right? So again, here we have truth and we have a lie and they stand in opposition to each other. So we have the, and, and the Bible also says that in Ephesians that the, the Satan uses fiery arrows, he calls his thoughts that he throws at us, fiery arrows. They're lies. He, he shoots these fiery arrows at us. It talks about it in Ephesians to mess with our minds. How many of you know that? How many of you know why, you know, if you ever see like in medieval combat, you get these archers and sometimes they have a flaming arrow and they always, they'll use it. They usually don't shoot it at a person, right? They shoot it usually like over the castle wall or they'll shoot it, you know, you always see those thatched roof cottages, which after a while you'd be like, why don't you guys use something that's non-flammable, you know, but... I guess they didn't, uh, but they would shoot them like at a, you know, at a thatched roof or they'll shoot them something, at something that's flammable. Why would they do that? Well, they do that to create maximum damage because they know, obviously we know fire spreads, right? And so when Satan is throwing these fiery arrows at us, or what the Bible calls fiery arrows, he's shooting those things at us, not, not just like one thought, but it's, it's a thought that makes a cascading approach to all of our thoughts, and sends us down a spiral. It spreads throughout our minds. And so these fiery arrows that the enemy likes to shoot at us are meant to spread. And so, you know, if you take, for example, someone who struggles with something like self-image, they might have a, a thought that enters their mind. Um, you know, they might look in the mirror, for example. This happens probably with ladies more than guys. Um, but they don't like what they see. You know, the, the enemy fires, fires an arrow at them and says, no one wants to be around you. Look at yourself. That thought then produces maybe anger, and that person becomes short with everybody around him, and then all of a sudden, everybody decides to leave him alone and give him space, and it just reinforces that lie. Nobody wants to be around you. You're not really lovable. You know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? How Satan takes one fiery arrow and then spreads it around. Maybe that thought, nobody wants to be around you, you know, look at yourself. Maybe that thought, instead of getting angry, it makes them want to draw back or cancel plans and stay home because of how they look, and... And then it adds to the loneliness and the insecurity, and then they end up by themselves with no one to talk to or share their struggle with or say, this is what my mind is thinking, and say, no, you're crazy. They don't get an opportunity to do that. And so it's just 
them and their thoughts, and guess who's there, ready to fire more fiery arrows at them all night long? The enemy of this world. It's just one of those things where if he has an end to our, into our minds, it spreads. You're part of a new kingdom with a new operating system. The only way to identify and defeat these lies is with the truth. It's the only way to do it. Just like that patch of lawn that gets taken out, it's not enough to remove the old. You've got to plant something new in its place, whether it's a tree or whether it's grass. You've got to put something there, and Philippians tells us what that should be. It should be the truth. We should be planting, supplanting those lies with the truth of the Word of God. I talked about this a little bit last week. When Satan was whispering or talking into, to Jesus and putting those anti-kingdom thoughts in Jesus' ear, when Jesus was being tempted at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus responded to Satan the same way. There were three, time, three times in three different ways, right? He tried to tempt him with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He tried to whisper things into Jesus' mind. That's how he got to him. That's how he tempted him. And Jesus said the same thing three times to him. He started out his response with three little words, right? Does anyone remember what that is? It is written. That's what Jesus said. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the Bible, the truth of the word of God. The word of God is true. And so what Jesus did when Satan tried to tempt him, when Satan tried to throw, shoot the fiery arrows at his mind, speaking them to him, Jesus said, it is written, and then he quoted scripture. It is written, quoted scripture. It is written, quoted scripture. So Jesus, in effect, just took and replaced the lies by bringing in the truth. Got out the old, brought in the new. That's what Jesus did. And if that's how Jesus dealt with Satan, how many think it's probably a good idea that that's what we do, and that's how we overcome when we think? He answered with the truth. The truth is true no matter how you feel or what your circumstances say, and the truth is solid and never changing. It's like the north, it's like the point of a compass. It's always going to point you in the right direction because sometimes circumstances get us jostled around and sometimes our own thoughts get us kind of mixed up, but uh, the word of God is always going to be true regardless of what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And guys, here's, here's where it breaks down to with the truth. You've got to read the word of God. That's how you know. It doesn't just implant itself. I mean, sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to us and implant truth that way, and he does, but you got to read the Word of God. That's where truth comes from. And so there's no two ways around it. Like I said, if you're going to take a thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, it's something that you have to work at. You have to dig that hole for that trap. If you're going to do this, you got to work at it. And so working at, part of working at it is reading the Word of God, reading the Word of God. And if you don't like to read, okay, listen to the Word of God. There are loads of ways to listen to the Word of God. There's the Daily Bible app, which I, I really like to use that. Um, you can go, if you don't want to do the, the Daily Audio Bible thing, you can go on the, uh, the YouVersion app, and then you can just pick a portion of Scripture and have it read it to you. I mean, you've got, you've got it in your pocket. You've got the Word of God. You've got all the translations, and you've got someone that will just read it to you. So really, there's no excuse not to verse yourself in the Word of God. Otherwise, you're just going to let your thoughts go crazy, and Satan's going to work on that mind and destroy it. But if you want to be a kingdom individual, then you have to learn to read the Word of God and know the Word of God. When you boil it down, it's this. Our lives are a collection of thoughts. Everything starts as a thought, like I said. Engaging your mind is the first thing that you have to do to act or respond to anything. Your mind governs your life, which is why when the kingdom dominates our mind, it's ultimately the kingdom that we're going to belong to. And one of the crazy things about Romans chapter 12, kind of the verse that we're working off, is that it says, um, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. In other words, 
In other words, if you know, if you know the kingdom thoughts, you're going to know the ruler of the kingdom, right? The transitions, like I said before, is not easy necessarily in practice, but the concepts can be more simple. Recognize the lies, replace them with truth. That's it. Recognize the lies, replace them with truth. You've got to be intentional on both ends, but that's the way it works. The more you put this into practice, the easier it becomes. And since everything starts with a thought, you'll find yourself as your mind changes, your life changes, and the kingdom starts living through you. That's how it works. So this morning, here's, my, here's what I want to leave you with today, is think about what you're thinking about. Take inventory and stock in your mind. You can't let your mind go crazy. You can't let those thoughts just run around in there or they'll destroy you. They'll destroy everything that God wants to do. You have to be intentional by taking out the old. You find a thought that comes in that's an anti-kingdom thought. You, crap, you, you grab it and you trap it and you, you don't let yourself think about it. And then you replace it with truth. So it's easy. Like I said, it's not easy in practice to understand that, but the concept can be more simple. That's how you do. Let's pray this morning. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, God, for today. I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you for your kingdom and, uh, Lord, the power that comes with it. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, for each and every individual in this place. God, that if Satan tries to rule our minds, Lord, and he tries to go after us, I pray, God, that you would help us to identify those thoughts, to capture them, control them, and, Lord, to let your truth reign in our minds and the way that we think. Father, I pray for each and every individual in this place, God, that you will Take them from this place, God, that you'll anoint them by your Holy Spirit. God, to go out into the marketplace of the world, God, into the kingdom of the world, and uh, be a light that shines and a beacon of hope, God, for everybody that they come in contact with. Father, we love you and we give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this, this day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.